The pre-med path can be super confusing. If you'd love some help on your path or on your applications, use the promo code PMY for pre-med years, PMY over at medicalschoolhq.net and get some help from some of our experts, former directors of admissions, admissions officers, other experts. We have a small team ready to help you today. Again, that's promo code PMY to get a discount on our services at medicalschoolhq.net. The Pre-Med Year, session number 507. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to the Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a wonderful non-traditional guest today, someone who is in medical school enjoying her life after being a librarian for almost a decade or about a decade. We're going to have a great conversation with Amy here in one second. But before we jump in, I want to talk about the MCAT Minute brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. Did you know that the biggest mistake that students make when taking the MCAT is not doing enough practice tests. Go get a free half-length diagnostic and full-length one from Blueprint MCAT over at blueprintmcat.com. Again, half-length diagnostic and free full-length exam from Blueprint to help guide you on your journey to doing well on the MCAT, doing practice questions, not just sitting and reading books, is what will help you be a better MCAT test taker. Go to blueprintmcat.com. Go get those things for free today. You got lots of other free goodies as well. All right, let's talk to Amy. She's going to talk about her journey to medical school, taking at some times in her journey, one class a semester at a community college. And guess what? Community college, I, I asked her after we recorded, I'm like, I forgot to ask you this. Her, her taking classes at community college or taking one class a semester for a little while never came up in her interviews. It didn't come up. She was a librarian and turned into a pre-med student. Amy, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, happy to be here. I'm excited to chat with you. You are a first-year medical student. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank How you. has that transition been to being a medical student from being a pre-med student? It's been interesting because I worked full-time all through doing pre-med prereqs. Yeah. Like I genuinely, my last day of work was like July 15th. <laughs> my first day of orientation was like July 18th. It was like <laughs> the following Wednesday. Um so it's been interesting. I think on the one hand, I kind of had some stamina of like working full time and doing classes and studying for the MCAT and applying and all of that. But I actually took the spring semester off and didn't take any classes this last semester. So I'd gotten a little lazy <laughs> on like the <laughs> studying stuff. Yeah. And I think I've gotten the rhythm now, but the first couple of weeks were definitely a bit of a struggle bus. <laughs> bit, a, bit of a transition there, definitely. I, I want to talk about your journey. Before we hit record, we were talking about the time it took you to be a pre-med student. How many years were you a quote-unquote pre-med student? I think it was five years. Okay. Um, 
yeah, I'm gonna do the math in my head. It was <laughs> it was five years. I took my time, um, partly because I wanted to do well, and mostly because I was really trying to avoid going into a ton of debt. Yeah. To do a uh, post back, so I didn't apply to like any formal post backs. I did the DIY route. Yeah. Started out doing evening classes at the local community college as they fit into my work schedule. And I paid my tuition like a hundred percent out of pocket. Wow. Um, and then when COVID hits, it sort of accelerated my timeline. I was really fortunate to be able to get a scholarship um, through my community college where it paid for half of my tuition. If I studied full time after I transferred to a four-year school to do the upper level prereqs, um, like the OCHEM and biochem. And I ended up taking some extra biology electives in there as well. Um, so that really helped on like the debt front and also was able to speed me up a bit so that I actually was able to apply this last cycle, obviously, yeah. and then start this year. And before then you were number one at a community college. So I want to talk about mm -hmm. that. And number two, only taking like one or so classes a semester. Yeah, because so I was a public librarian and public librarians, at least in a lot of districts, like we have evening hours to be open to the public. So I yeah. had to work one evening a week, I had to work one month or one weekend a month. And so because of that, I couldn't do two evening classes Yeah, because I couldn't do like a Monday, Wednesday and a Tuesday, Thursday. I could only do a Tuesday, Thursday or a Monday, Wednesday so that I had a night open to be working at the library. Yeah. Did anyone along your journey say, Amy, what are you doing? Number one, you can't get into med school if you go to community college. And number two, you can't go to med school if you only take one class a semester. Um, I heard from a few people, not a ton, like to be wary of the community college thing. Yep. But most people were generally supportive. And I think more and more schools are realizing that, you know, school is expensive. A yeah. lot of people from especially underrepresented backgrounds that we need more of in medicine start out at community college. I think almost all schools still expect you to do your upper level stuff at a four-year school. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think I would have done OCHEM or higher at community college. Yeah. But a lot a don't even place. offer it, right? Yeah, exactly. Like it was a great place to start and get those core sciences. And I yeah. actually like really, really benefited from my time there because apart from the scholarship that I mentioned, I was able to get that scholarship because the class sizes were small and I was able to make good relationships with my professor. Yeah. And so one of my professors became one of my letter writers for the scholarship and also one of my letter writers for my med school application huge. and would not have had that relationship if I was in a giant auditorium class for Gen Bio. It's huge. There's so many benefits to community college financials aside that I think medical schools just need to open their eyes a little bit more and go, oh, yeah, let's let's not discriminate against them. So you were doing a post-bac program. What did you, you, you said you were a librarian before. Did you go to undergrad going, I want to be a librarian? No. <laughs> I didn't think so. That's not a very common path, I don't think. Librarian was like plan C. Okay. Okay. What was A and B? A was being a doctor. Oh, it was. All right. Yeah. No, yeah. I wanted to be a doctor since I was a like little kid. 
Um, but I got into like junior, senior year of high school and went to high school in like a little tiny rural town. We didn't have a ton of course options. Yeah. Um, I had struggled a bit with math in middle school and had to like retake algebra three times before I finally passed with a high enough grade that they let me move on. <laughs> um, and as a result, I was not going to get to take calculus in high school. The highest yeah. I could have gotten to was pre-calc, but it conflicted with like Spanish or something. So I wasn't even going to be able to take pre-calc in high school. And I was like, well, there's no way I'm going to you know, get accepted into a school for like biochemistry or something because I was laboring under the delusion that you had to major in biochemistry to be a pre-med major, which I know better now, but I did not know at the time. Um, and so I sort of like gave up on that dream and went and majored in theater instead. <laughs> theater, because that's the obvious second choice to being a doctor. Because that was the other thing I did in high school that I enjoyed, <laughs> like apart from like academic decathlon and being a general nerd, I was, <laughs> And theater and like president of the thespians club my senior year so okay i'll go i'll go major in theater yeah All did right. that then like did actually applied for and got accepted to grad school to do like arts administration as okay. a master's degree but ended up not getting the funding i needed to do it so i like that was lucky moved back to my home state <laughs> of colorado and like worked for a couple years and discovered that Oh, actually, I really enjoy like working in informal education environments. Mm -hmm. I loved the library growing up. I'll apply to library school because there's a library school at DU at the University of Denver. And yeah, I went to library school. And library school is a thing, huh? Yeah. That's awesome. And you became a librarian. How far into your journey were you like, shoot, I need to go to medical school. I don't want to give up on that dream. I had been a librarian for like four or five years and like I had like in like social time with friends and stuff I had joked like if I get to x age and like whatever hasn't happened in my life like whatever benchmark like I haven't been able to buy a house or haven't yeah. gotten married and had kids or whatever I was like I'm I think I would go back to school to be a doctor and like even during library school I talked about like I should have been a doctor. Like we, we, we went to the library at the school where I'm going to medical school now yep. um, for like looking at special libraries. And I remember walking through like all of the bound journals of like medical journals and being like, <laughs> this is my home. This is where <laughs> like I need this, to be. This feels right. Yeah. Um, but I also did really enjoy being a librarian. I love working with the kids and getting to like, just serve my community in that way. Um, so I didn't really do anything about it until like four or five years after yeah. being a librarian. Um, okay. And it was actually after my dad passed away. That was really like the trigger that mm. I'm not going to continue to regret this and continue to like read, yeah. you know, pathophysiology literature in my free time for funsies. <laughs> yeah. And I could do something about it. <laughs> it's huge that that regret. 
uh, is something that I've been talking a lot more about lately is like just regret is my biggest fear. Like I'm going to do everything in my power to not have regret when I die, because that's when you, you hear stories of, of people who hang out with people who are on their deathbeds. And it's always like, I wish I did this. I wish I did that. It's never like talking about all the amazing things they did. It's always the, the wish they did. Uh, and so you, you finally took charge of that. What do you think was keeping you away from that? Was it, I'm too old? Was it, I, I stunk at algebra and so I can't even, how am I even going to do well in those hard sciences? What, what was keeping you back? I think a little of all of the above, um, like worried, like, can I hack it? Can I even do hard sciences? And I think that's also part of the reason I started slow was so that I could really give myself the time to learn that stuff to do well in those classes if I had like jumped straight in feet first full time I don't think I would have been as successful um and I think thinking I was probably too old and like who's going to accept me and it was actually like starting to explore the options because I did like remember in the back of my head I'm like at least in the movie like Patch Adams that's played by Robin Williams was a non-traditional student there were non-traditional students on er like i remember like don Cheadle had a character on there who was like in his 40s and i'm like and like um what's her name the nurse that became a doctor like oh yeah there were there there were like non-trad stories i'm like so clearly this is based on some reality (laughs) i should see like what it would actually take yeah I mean, it's not like I've been here for 10 years making podcasts, talking to lots of non-trads. Well, like that was definitely <laughs> one of the like resources that when I started looking, so like after my dad passed away, he passed away in like January, that spring I started looking and then that fall was when I started classes. Yeah. So um, yeah, that spring, one of the things I fa- had stumbled across was the old pre-meds podcast and was like, Okay, there's a, there's a whole podcast. There's a whole podcast of interviewing like <laughs> non-traditional quote unquote old pre-med. Yeah, clearly. How dare he calls me old? Ideas I thought it might be. <laughs> it's so funny. I, I I posted about that recently, and someone's like, "Can we rename the podcast to like mature pre-meds?" I'm like, "No, old pre-meds. That's just the name. It's fun." Um, so what was the, the hardest thing you found making this transition from being a librarian for four or five years, being out of school for longer than that, um, uh, even before you went back to, to librarian school, what was the hardest transition for you to go, okay, I'm now on this other path and I'm not looking back? I think the hardest transition, honestly, was keeping it a secret. (laughs) Why keep it a secret? So I like I told like close friends and family and they knew from like when I went back to school that Mm. like this was something I was very seriously considering. But because I was worried about the debt and like because I wanted to keep working um, in part to avoid that debt and just because like I could not afford to like totally quit school and or quit work and go just to school full time. Mm. So like, cause like I was still working on like public service loan forgiveness for my library school loans and all of that. Um, so I wanted slash needed to keep working so I could pay tuition, pay the bills, 
pay for healthcare, all of that stuff. Um, so I kept it a secret because I didn't want like bosses or people to think that I was less than committed to my current job as mm. a librarian, just because I was reaching for something different yeah. at the same time. So I genuinely kept it a secret. Yeah. Was it, was that fear of getting like, fired or fear of them just treating you differently while you're working? Both. Okay. <laughs> fear that treating me differently would lead to looking for things that I was doing wrong that would lead to getting fired. Whereas if they thought that I was fully a hundred percent committed to this career path, they wouldn't have had that same reaction. Yeah. Like they'd start looking for mistakes or something. Yeah. And that may, that fear may have been completely unfounded. I genuinely don't know, but I wasn't willing to risk it. Yeah, it's it's a common thing for non-treads to have to deal with that that weighing of the the kind of risks and benefits of do I say something and potentially get some support, especially during hard times like finals or MCAT prep or something where it's like, hey, can I have a day or two off here or there? Versus just keeping your mouth shut and doing what you need to do. And it's it's hard. It's definitely hard. But you did it. I did. Yeah. So so talk about the the application process to medical school. So you you're you're going to community college, you're taking a class or so every semester, kind of slow rolling it. COVID hits, which was a silver lining because now classes are online and you can take more and work, which was awesome. You get the scholarship, which which helps as well. When you applied to medical school and you're you're working on your story, crafting your story, what was your biggest fear with writing your personal statement or, or working on your activities? What was the biggest fear that they would like see something and go, oh yeah, this is not someone who we want? I think my biggest fear, honestly, was I was a little weak on like clinical experiences, either <laughs> volunteering or paid, because I, again, wanted to keep working in the job I had. Not that librarians get paid incredibly well, but we get paid better than medical scribes yeah. and like MAs do. And so I didn't think I could afford to like quit my job and go be a scribe full time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I volunteered and did get like some clinical volunteering experience, but I wasn't able to do a ton because again, I was working full time yeah. and also taking classes. Yeah. I just didn't have a ton of spare time. I did it like on the weekends or like in the mornings when I would work an evening shift at work, I would go to the hospital in the morning and volunteer and then go work eight hours. (laughs) So like I found ways to squeeze it in, but it didn't amount to a ton of time. And then once COVID hit, all opportunities were off the table. So in some ways, I think that was a bit of a silver lining for me there too, because there was less expectation that I would have had ton of clinical experience because of that. Um, so two ways that COVID actually, I think helped me out. (laughs) Yeah. Silver linings there are definitely huge. So as a non-traditional student who's working and and wants to keep working, doesn't want to change that. How did you find clinical experiences pre pre COVID? How did you find experiences that fit with your schedule? So I volunteered, um, at the local hospital system, um, where I was working at the time, And like I said, I worked weekends um, when they let me, I did. um, So when I would work a weekend shift at the library, I would usually get the Friday before off. So I would volunteer those Fridays Mm -hmm. and I would volunteer in the mornings when I was working in the evening. 
Um, so so you, you just to called like up probably eight hours a week, yeah. but they had like an established volunteer program. Okay. It wasn't a ton of clinical stuff at the time. Cause it was really tailored to like retirees yeah. <laughs> coming and volunteering rather than like pre-med students. Um, but as I was there, they opened up some more volunteering opportunities that were less like working the info desk and more like helping with patient transport and at least like being in clinical spaces yeah. as opposed to just sitting at the desk yeah. out front. And, and was that you driving that going, hey, like I would love if you let me do X, Y, or Z? I think it was partly me, but I don't think it was just me. I do think yeah. there were other students at the community college that I was attending that like were in our community that were also working on prereqs to go to PA school or go to nursing yeah. school that wanted more relevant clinical volunteering yeah. so that they could apply to those schools. Um, and so because there was demand, not just from me, I think the hospital was willing to open up those new opportunities. Yeah. Makes sense. That's awesome. So you, you're working on your story. You're worried about your activities, hours, totals, which is, is never, in my mind, it's almost never a concern. Like have it, be consistent with it. You see on Student Doctor Network, it's like, I have 3,000 hours of clinical experience. Like that's not what makes the difference in an application. So what was it like receiving your first interview invite? Um. I think at that time I was still like just kind of surprised. I thought I had a strong enough application to get interview invites, mm -hmm. but I think I also still had a lot of imposter syndrome about like actually getting accepted <laughs> anywhere. Yeah. So um, my first interview was with a DO school um, and Overall, I thought it went really well. I sort of considered it like a dry run. And I was like, it's still pretty early in the cycle. Worst comes to worse. You know, they don't accept me. And I will hopefully have other opportunities. But I did end up getting accepted there. And so then I was like, okay. Got one. I've got one. <laughs> regardless of whatever else happens this application cycle, I know I can go to school somewhere. And yeah. I think that took a lot of pressure off. Yeah. That's huge. That's huge. So I, I let's rewind a little bit uh, and talk about MCAT prep because that's another big barrier uh, often for non-traditional students, especially students who are working full-time. How did you fit in MCAT prep with everything else that you were doing? So I ended up doing not as much like content review as mm -hmm. I thought I was going to do like when I made my initial master schedule, I'm like, I'm going to review this chapter this day, this chapter this day, and it did not happen. Yeah. I was way too tired. It's just <laughs> like, I did not have the energy to use my brain on that. Um, so what I ended up doing was just doing basically full length tests every other weekend. Mm -hmm. So I would like sit down Saturday morning, um, tell my roommate like, Leave me alone. Taking a test, <laughs> leave me alone, basically. And would just like sit there and like chug through a full-length test. And then I would review it um, usually that same evening, but sometimes on the Sunday after and like go through what I got wrong and sort of like take notes on like what the main topic of those questions were. And then the following weekend, I would do targeted content review just based on what I was getting wrong and why. Mm -hmm. um, and then basically did that seven times. Yeah. 
and then took the MCAT. And at one point in there, even I like, I was like, I'm exhausted. I'm taking two weeks off. I didn't do any sort of MCAT <gasps> prep for a oh, couple no. weeks. <laughs> I thought it was going to like be awful, but then I came back and I did better yeah. than when I had been just like chugging through every other weekend. So firm recommendation that yeah. rest is important to the study cycle. Rest, rest. <laughs> just, just like tra- we always compare it to training for a marathon, right? You, you have to build in rest days or else it just doesn't work. So that, that worked out for you. And obviously the score that you got was good enough to get you into a few schools. So that's, that's awesome. When you, when you look back at this journey that you've been on from wanting to be a doctor from way back when to having plan B and C in place. What is your biggest regret now that you're in school at a little bit of an older age than maybe you wanted, um, but you're there doing it. Do you have a regret up to this point? I think like my only regret, if I could like truly rewind, it would be to have asked more questions back, like, junior year of college mm. and I very first thought I should have gone to school for med school because <laughs> um, like that's when I took my like gen bio like core prereq for non-majors but yeah like, we got to be in the lab and like just the course content I was like I still really love this from high school and beyond and I was like well I'm committed to this major and this career path now and I can't jump off yeah. And I think that was not true. And that's something that yeah. like now I tell other people like, yep. A, you can major in anything and go <laughs> anything. to med school, like literally anything. I'm, I'm not even the only theater major in my class. There are <laughs> three of us. Like you can major in anything. Please tell me you guys are going to put on a, a show or something. I, I don't know. I know some schools do like <laughs> yeah. an, like a big show for like the third and fourth year, like that's awesome. Do it. So I don't, yeah. I don't know if that's a tradition at my school or not, but maybe. Yeah. At the very, at the very least, we have decided that when we have to do the like dance competition against next year's MS ones, when we're MS twos, that um, it will be well staged. Yes. <laughs> this year we didn't really have enough notice to get it together, but now we have a whole year. <laughs> you got it. You got a whole year. Choreography, set, you got it. Mm-hmm. You got it. You got it working. So I, I want to ask, like, what would be the one or two questions that you should have asked back then that someone listening to this should be asking? I should have asked, do I have to change my major mm. to do pre-med which if I had known that I could have stayed a theater major and stayed like because one of the things was that like I had performance scholarships riding on my major and if I changed majors I would lose those scholarships yeah um so can I do this with the major I already have yeah I probably would have taken a little more time but I actually graduated a semester early so it's not like (laughs) spending an extra year would have cost me all that much it would have only been five years which is pretty common these days for finishing undergrad um so just asking can i do this with what i've already worked on yep and then what do i need to do to make that happen because in my head i thought you have to be like a biology major or a biochem major and because you have to take all of those classes and i didn't even realize that like 
it's actually a much smaller subset of those classes that you actually have to take. Yeah. And then, yeah, a few electives are nice, but yeah, I, I genuinely thought you needed like the whole major, <laughs> the whole not, thing, you, the whole yeah. thing. Like you could get away with a minor and maybe not even that. <laughs> yeah. Not even that. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so some really strong questions, very, very easy questions to answer for, for most people, but for you coming in, you didn't have people around you to to guide you doing it. So you didn't know, you didn't know that you could ask those questions and those were even uh, easy answers to, to go get. And you fell prey to the very common fallacy of sunk costs where it's like, well, I've already put in so much time being a theater major, I, sh- I should just finish and, and then I'll figure it out later if I, if I want to. And so very common kind of, places that we as humans get stuck in psychologically and you're like, well, I guess I'm, I guess I'm here. I guess that's it. <laughs> that time has passed and oh, oh well, uh, maybe my kids will want to go to med school and I can live through them. Uh, it's such, such a common trap that we fall into. And uh, I love talking to, to super non-traditional students who are just like, like, I'm 50, I'm 60, I'm whatever, I'm going to med school, like who cares? Um, and it's just, it's awesome. So uh, when you look at that whole journey that you've been on and you know that someone listening to this is where you were, what is one piece of advice that you wanna make sure they they walk away from this episode with? I mean, I'm not the first person to say it, but the time is going to pass anyway. You're going to get to be 35, 40, whatever age that you're worried about being when you're in med school, you're going to be that old anyway. Would you rather be that old doing what you know in your heart you want to do or regretting that you didn't? Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. So you're in med school now. Mm -hmm. You're planning on starting a podcast. We're going to make this live for everyone. We're going to, we're going to blast it out to the world so that they're waiting for this podcast. What, what encouraged you or it's motivating you to start a podcast? So as we've discussed my backgrounds as a librarian and working in public libraries in particular, um, one of the things that we learned about in library school and that sort of became like a pet passion of mine is the topic of health literacy um, and the idea that so many people even like very well educated people don't have the health literacy level needed to interact with our healthcare system it's complex you have weird vocabulary from like (laughs) insurance and like what's a deductible versus what's a premium versus what's a copay like these are not intuitive and we don't really have a great like system of education about those things like we sort of do like head shoulders knees and toes as preschoolers (laughs) and then kind of leave it at that and then like a lot of patients are left to search on their own to find information after a diagnosis Um, and you're searching online and then what's the best, most reliable information because some of it's great and some of it's awful and some of it's just kind of meh. And so helping people to just kind of understand the vocabulary of the healthcare system, demystify it a bit, Mm -hmm. explain it in plain language and hopefully improve people's access to care by 
doing hopefully a fun podcast. My idea is to do like a word of the week sort of idea and introduce a complex term and then what it actually means in real life. Yeah. Like explaining it in simple language and what it means to you as a patient. And then also hopefully interviewing different clinicians or like even administrative side of healthcare to talk about like frequently asked questions about your area of expertise. Yeah. And and with your library librarian background, with you able to, I think, parse through a lot of information and figure out what's good, what's bad. And I, I think that'll be a huge, uh, hugely needed in this in this world. So that'd be great. One more question about being a librarian. Pre-meds out there need lots of information. How can their local librarian help them on their journey to medical school? So much. Like I should have asked the librarian, frankly, in high school (laughs) and college if I had just thought to, which is sad because I loved the library and obviously like became a librarian because I love the library. Um, But if you've got questions about like career paths, they have so many resources and databases that you can access that's going to give you real information about what it takes to get from point A to point B, um, what's like actual reliable sources um, and not just like databases that you have to go through the library to get to, but like what are just publicly available, free, reliable sources for X information. Um, I honestly think had I gone to the librarian sooner, I would have changed my major or at the very least gone ahead and done the pre-med prereqs when I was in college the first time. Um, and then just help for research, help for, you know, they know who's doing the research at your school because the researchers talk to the librarians for research help too. So if you're looking for like trying to get in on some research, they have those contacts as well. Yeah, that's awesome. What does the future hold for you? What are you potentially interested in specialty-wise? Perhaps unsurprisingly, as a former children's librarian, um, I'm really interested in working with kids and families. Like that was the thing I loved about being a children's librarian. I thought that might change, but I'm currently doing like precepting at the children's hospital here. And I still 100% love working with kids. So for me, the question is, do I want to do just kids or kids and adults? And then what, like, in what scope do I want to work with that population? But kids and families, for sure. All right. There you have it. Amy talking about her journey to medical school. For all of you librarians out there, come. Come to the dark side. Go to medical school like Amy did, if you want to. And for all of you pre-meds, go utilize your librarians. They're out there to help you. I hope this was helpful for you to understand that there is no right, there is no wrong way to get into medical school. There is no, you must do it this way. Like a lot of people will tell you, advisors, mentors, physicians, me sometimes, if I get a little hyperbolic, um, there's no one way to do this. So go enjoy your journey. Make it work for how you need to make it work. And we'll see you on the other side as a physician. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.